Hello, I'm Ernest Campbell, founder and CEO of Kimia and Kimia Reset. I'm really passionate about helping pharma field teams to get their arms around digital and technology and feel confident about using technology to improve the engagement with healthcare professionals. I really want them to feel good about themselves and achieve amazing results. It's the human element of digital transformation, enabling people to use technology confidently to communicate with HCPs and deliver value is what I'm really passionate about. And to explore this topic, I've been inviting inspiring leaders to come and I'll learn from them and give them a platform so they can share their perspective. I'm really delighted to welcome Erasmus Holm, Director of Pharma and Commercial Operations at MSD Netherlands today. So before I um, bring Erasmus to the studio, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Erasmus, maybe parts that you might not know about him and how we met. Uh, Erasmus, uh, as a child, used to watch a lot of TV. But what's really interesting and curious is he was only interested in the commercials. So it's no surprise now he's working within sales and marketing in the Netherlands as a director of pharma and commercial operations. Um, Erasmus is a sales and marketing strategist who uh, wants to partner with teams and colleagues to transform and grow the business. And making sure all along when he talks about B2B, he doesn't mean boring to boring. Before joining MSC five years ago, he spent over a decade working in global technology consulting companies in all shapes and different sizes. Erasmus focuses on finding what drives sales and creates a unique customer experience and figuring out how you engage and impact people, balancing between new shiny things and reality and getting his hands dirty. He holds a BA in marketing communications from Copenhagen Business School, as well as several degrees within uh, commercial design. So how we met was we met um, first in uh, Reuters in Nice. Coincidentally, we were both staying in the same hotel. So I spotted him over breakfast. So I went over and said hi and chatted to him. Um, what I didn't know that I found out a few weeks ago that Erasmus told me while I was talking to him, apparently he spilled yogurt in his jacket and he was all along talking to me, was figuring out how he was going to get this stain out of this jacket because he was meant to be standing on stage uh, doing a panel discussion and he had no other jackets with him. So he is an amazing speaker. I've seen him talk at Next Pharma in Dubrovnik and a few months ago, again, we were both at Farmageddon in Barcelona and um, the more I hear him talk and listen to him the more I'm impressed with his grasp of reality and his creativity. So before we jump in and ask Erasmus questions I just wanted to uh, remind you that he's um, expressing his own views and he's not representing his company and now over to you Erasmus, it's great to have you here. You know, I'm just curious to know, you know, everybody's talking about digital transformation, but how do you define it? What does it mean to you? So I define digital transformation as, as both digitalization of the processes you have, and then it's the big people, uh, transformation where it's mindset, it's skill set, and it's tools of people. Mm -hmm. Different people have a different meaning. And I really like the way you broke it. You said digital, is the tools and the technology transformation is about the people. 
I sense that because you came from the background where you're already working on this, you had a much clear idea of what that would mean, what you're going to do in MSD. But I don't think maybe everybody has that clarity. You know, I talk to some people, they don't even have a clear digital strategy. What did you do that helped to bring that clarity and, you know, help educate others in MSD? I think you have to be very realistic and you have to be also simple. So I think most pharmaceutical companies would I sometimes call it a skyscraper, right? We're a skyscraper. And if you have to move, do you want to move this entire building to something else? Or you are you changing the windows and the facade? Or are you moving people up around the different floors? What is it you're trying to achieve? Often you go in with a position that you have to, we're changing the core of the company. We're moving over here. We're not a... We're not a drug manufacturer anymore. We are a data company, for example. Uh -huh. I heard that even uh, in, in, in my own company. And I profoundly disagree with that. Because if you do that, then you have to have a profound shift in, whole, in your whole business. And yeah. what is happening is that the, the pharmaceutical industry, in, in most cases, is not on a burning platform. So the desire to change is fairly low. So you do incremental changes. So you change the windows, you move people around to different floors. You can have that comparison to adding digital to your marketing efforts, or you upskill people within analytics, kind of moving people around the floors and you adding some new things and changing some of the windows. That's what's happening. So it's a digitalization of the processes, but it's not really changing the core of the business. Very few big companies has actually changed the core of the mm -hmm. business and really been become a different company. And no pharmaceutical company has done that yet. So you have to be realistic. You have to keep it simple. And then you have to not be distracted by the new things as well, which is, has happened a lot of times. So, and I did it myself when I came in. I was super enthusiastic about chatbots in the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. chat, and we did it, and and of course, naturally, it was success for a few yeah a few weeks and months, and then it kind of just drizzled off, because in the end, at least on the commercial marketing side, is you have to fix the you had we had to fix the fundamentals, and the fundamentals were just you know, our interactions with our customer, making that impactful, making it about quality, not quantity, and being fine with that. It's not about sending 10,000 emails more next year. It's really about having that more impactful uh, engagement and slowly then experimenting. That was the strategy that that, that we have. But yeah. of course, we were distracted by trying new things out. And, and for some, it was other pharmaceutical companies have been through some of the same things with next next engagement actions analytics and of course now it's it's all about ai uh, this uh -huh. year next year so and that will will continue for a while so but you if you don't have your fundamentals there as well then your digital transformation will never be there because you'll be constantly trying to transform and run after the new shiny thing what i've learned more and more is not sweat it you know it's okay if it doesn't work out but look at the meaning that you learn from that experience. And, you know, I, I love your realism. Um, the fact that you're saying you can't change the whole building um, immediately. You need to pick what's more important and work on that. What's your thoughts on that? Um, well, you, you really have to pick your battles and you have to find out where are you right now and where are you in this, this skyscraper and what do you want to do with it if you want to do your digital transformation? Is it a marketing effort? And I want to also be clear, it's a commercial aspect I'm coming from, because if you are an R&D, then it's very different. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're an R&D, you should go all in on AI and, and digital transformation. That's for sure, because it's going to matter a huge uh, deal uh, for our, our drug development in the future. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. 
uh, but it's, a, it's two different uh, approaches. But if you are in the commercial space, you have to find out where, how do, how do, so where does your skyscraper placed? Is it kind of over there where your market is mature and you not, don't have maybe a lot of launches? Uh, and you have some very uh, GP-focused products and so on. And then you have maybe one approach you have to go to. Maybe it's about scale and maybe it's about uh, consumer activation. Or are you in a different space where you're constantly la launching smaller over-the-counter products? Mm -hmm. It's a different uh, approach potentially. And you need to change something differently. And maybe you have to have some, some high-focused teams to bring a lot of people from externally that can really teach you how to do omnichannel, for example. So that is the some of the digital transformation levels, and it's quite, I would say, con, con, fundamentals levels. But is it really then digital transformation? Normally, we would say a lot of people would define digital transformation as something grander. But I think we have just have to be realistic. Is a digitalization of our industry because our industry is not profoundly transforming. It's slowly evolving, but it's not a profound transformation that any pharmaceutical companies are really going through. You brought so much clarity to this term digital transformation today. I really love that. I don't think anybody has explained it as eloquently that you have done today. Digital transformation comes in two parts. The digital part is about digitalization of the industry. The transformation is about the people element. And what you clarified here that I really loved is you said you need to think about what you're trying to do in your business and the digital transformation element relates to what the outcomes you're looking for. So I was just going to ask you to elaborate on the people side. How do you believe we can empower teams to effectively utilize the digital tools? How can we help them to transform in that direction? Uh... Well, that's a, well, again, I'm speaking for myself here, but uh, to a short comment on, on maybe what, what we would think about in MSD, what factors, what is deciding on, on investments in new digital technology is multiple uh, factors. It's, it's probably first and foremost, what impact will it have for, for, for the business and which part of the business? Uh, I think in the end, uh, for MSD, a lot of the initial investments has already been happening for years. Um, and I think for a lot of the pharmaceutical companies there are, at least when we talk about the marketing and sales side, uh, and then it's more utilizing them because we are probably uh, reach a point where the technology runs faster than we transforming. So mm -hmm. that when new features gets added, we are still not maybe ready to utilize all of them, uh, or doesn't make sense for maybe our compliance uh, part as well. Uh, so I think right now the biggest, probably the biggest investments that I imagine our our global teams are looking at is within AI, and then there's definitely a deciding factor there would be risk and security. Um, so that has become a more and more important factor in in the future because I think we have the tools to really have impactful engagement with our customers. So now it's about what's the next thing, and then what's the risk about those things. So a risk factor. I would, five years ago, we never had said risk, but Today, definitely a data and compliance risk uh, is, is definitely a very deciding factor as well. And how do you um, bring the people on that journey, enable them to you know, be aware of the risk, but also utilize the tools that you're investing in? That's actually a really good question because the mindset of people is so important in any kind of journey you want to do. So people normally raise their hands when you say, hey, who wants change? And then you say, hey, who wants to change? And then the hands comes a little bit down. And then when you say, hey, who wants to lead the change? Then there's mm -hmm. almost no hands left. And that's very, and, and especially when it comes to risk, that's even uh, less hands. 
because you want to hear about the next shiny things. You want to move fast. And we, many of, of companies, both pharma and non-pharma, have brought in a lot of talented people, I'm sure, within data, within marketing, within content. And, um, and they want to move too, and they want to explore the boundaries. So it's really to highlight and find the right environment where we can operate, the right frame where we can operate uh, and really make it clear this is the boundaries and it's okay to go to those boundaries, but we don't want to cross them ever mm-hmm. uh, because that brings a lot of risk for the business, for us and, and potentially also customers and patients on how we communicate. So I, you have to have really the good, I normally say you have to find the, who's the people you can contact and talk to and about, okay, I want to do this how far can I go? And then really explore it and ask the questions. Keep on asking the questions because normally, at least in our industry, we, we, we stay well be, be within the within the boundaries. But you really have to have a clear understanding where the boundaries is and, and, and then be an advocate for, well, please try to explore the space you're in. But this is the space. And we all have, and I think it's a lot of about leaders, they have to have a drive, driving the teams forward towards those boundaries but then having a clear understanding where they are. And it's difficult because they change and it requires a lot of, especially for someone, for creative, innovative uh, people that we brought in, it's maybe not easy to go and read all these standard operating procedures and all that stuff and keep up to date with that. So that requires a lot of leaders uh, to really stay up to date on what, what, uh, what you can do and not do. So have you done anything specifically in MSD to address the mindset uh, or create a culture that encourages, um, you know, pushing the boundaries within the limits of the compliance. Have you done anything to specifically address that? Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's a super interesting question because um, I'm a firm believer in that you, you create an environment, mm-hmm. but you cannot force that environment. So you can, so one thing is setting the organization up and bringing in people that has a drive but also understands that it has some patience as well because of the compliance things that might happen. So we brought in a lot of talented people in the Nordics and, and, and Netherlands as well, and they have to have the right mindset, the patience, maybe coming from outside. And then all the people who have experience with pharma and know the limitation has to have patience with the people coming in and really teach them about the pharma industry. So you had that perfect mix and that creates the environment. Mm-hmm. But you cannot do online learnings, you cannot do, you know, a lot of trainings, you cannot do a lot of webinars, internal webinars or workshops, and then think that would be fixed. That will only have a very, very small incremental change. The most important part is to be hyper-focused on creating an environment. And there's no formula for that, to be quite honest. It's simply about finding the right people that have patience and then making sure there is this cross-functional work where they share their learnings from both sides. And then you find they have the right teams. But you, if you silo people in too much, I think it's fine to have digital teams and, and then to call them digital teams for a while. But at some point, you have to merge things together. You can't have digital over here because then it's not your responsibility and commercial sales over here and marketing over there. It's In the end, you have to really merge these things together because the customer doesn't really care if it's coming from one end to the other. They just look at what they're kind of receiving. Or interacting with so creating the environment is something i speak about quite a lot but i also don't have a formula for it mm-hmm. i would say it's hiring the right people making sure they work they have a, the right environment to work in and then slowly magic starts to happen i've seen in one country i was in uh, not that long ago in the nordics 
And when you start, the team was just establishing themselves. And after a year or two, they came to me and said, hey, Erasmus, now we're using all these digital tools almost optimally. What's next? And that's beautiful because we didn't have to push anything. It just came organically when we brought in new people and had the senior people there to kind of interact with each other, make great marketing and interactions and great customer experience. And in the end, they were just evolving as a team with a great leader as well. And then you see it, and that was the some of the most beautiful digital transformation I've seen for quite a while in pharma. That's a really good example. I think listening to you, Erasmus, I think the key things, even in, in the example that you shared, people coming and asking for more is you had already, or that you know, affiliate had in, uh, empowered people to take ownership of um, this journey. Uh, and now you as a leader in Netherlands, you have the kind of like the gift and opportunity to empower people. And I notice in countries where the leaders are creating that culture of empowerment, the digital transformation happens faster and more organically. You must have a recipe. You know, what is it that you do? Maybe one or two things you do that gives people the signal that you are empowering them and they are allowed to go and play within the boundaries of the compliance. Do you know what that is? I think it's about having a humility and a vulnerability to uh, to being and then sharing a lot of uh, a lot of experiences as well with them and and also the failures. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of of sharing failures, and I think um, a lot of the great leaders and and we have many of them within MSD as well in Netherlands. And I'm afraid of being vulnerable and telling them that well, this was what I'm thinking, this is what worked, this is what didn't work, and I want you to go and try, and 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 also there will be no repercussions for if you fail. Rather, we encourage that. We don't want, okay, it's 10 out of 10 failures, of course, but we don't because they'll learn and we have great people. So they will learn from the things that they did. Mm-hmm. They'll learn from the campaign that didn't fail. They will learn from the initiative. They'll learn from the content that we try to do. And we learn from the push initiative we try to do on the PR and the communication that maybe wasn't compliant and enough. And then that was stopped before it came out. Those things is what we are learning, but only because we're bringing people that really want to try and go to those boundaries. And you mm-hmm. have to then create an environment by being a vulnerable leader, a leader that also really encourages them to go and try. And then, of course, as you mentioned, really empower them and give them the opportunity, that space to really go go and try. So it almost is like let go of the total control and trust your people that they're going to own it and drive it forward. Of course. I think yeah. that's what uh, that's what we want everybody to do, and I think that's what every modern leader is is also set up to do. So that's not really a uh, extraordinary formula. I think everybody should 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 be there, but you can have a. I think it's also being, of course, the company you're part of, because there can be trends from almost global all the way down, where you can be pushed to saying, "Well, this is only the things you're allowed to do." I think we have a company that does, at the moment, both on both having some mandatory things, which is where we want to go. Then at the same time, giving the opportunity for people and subsidiary and regions to go within a certain space to really go and try, because a global company cannot balance everything out in terms of the right culture, the right communication, the right messaging for everybody. Uh, but you, they can you know make some directions and then really give the freedom. But if you have a total freedom for everything, then you also have a lot of resources wasted. Yeah. And it's that kind of cocktail mix between you know, what do you want to have on a, on on different levels regional, global, local is is also very, very important. I think 
uh, we're constantly moving towards the right balance there. But I think we have we are, we've come pretty far the last few years, and that's I think quite important for a company as well. I'm sure some assistant company where you think is always maybe a little bit chaotic, and some other companies where it's completely streamlined. You don't have that space to really go uh, and explore. Yeah, I think um, I'm looking from outside in. Uh, you have an environment that uh, encourages that culture of empowerment and you know testing and failing not every company and not every leader nurtures that so congratulations for creating that culture and i think in my observation looking from out in companies who have that culture are moving faster because it's not just the leader leading it it's everybody else in their team leading in that direction we've got a comment from brian shore kind of like saying he, he acknowledges your great point that at some point you have to merge digital skill set mindset in all all the teams it's not just a division on its own so thank you uh, brian for commenting that do you want to add anything else to that uh, erasmus no i think well when i came into the company uh then i had digital transformation in my title and it was one of my first missions was to get rid of it because when digital happens over there, that's your responsibility. It's the digital team, it's Erasmus' responsibility to do digital transformation and do digital. And my comment was, it's not as everybody. Um, and I think it's the same. I'm probably someone will arrive in 2024, if not already, with AI in their title, AI ambassador or AI transformation lead. Pretty sure that it will happen very soon. And that's that. That to that person, get rid of that very fast because uh, you need to. I think AI is, is somewhat of 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 a, of a of course trend right now, but it would definitely be a, a, an everyday use of tools, and the same with digital, whatever tool it is. And we have to have everybody on the journey to really make sure that they they use it and mm -hmm. uh, and provide value, and also at the same time make sure we don't misuse it and just uh, don't get the right messaging and the right stuff to our customers because they can also be overwhelmed by by everything that pharma is trying to do with them. And I think like anything else, any shiny tools, AI is an enabler to get us to the goal. It's not the nirvana or the goal on itself. It's just comes back to the key things about creating a positive, successful customer experience. And the AI is a tool that enable us to maybe personalize or respond better. Which brings me to this question. I'm really curious to know whether you can share an example of successful customer-centric campaign that you have done utilizing digital tools in MSD. Yeah, so it's, it's not even me who done it. So I'm going to kind of share someone else and then be very, very clear that it's uh, it was not my my idea, but I saw it happening in, in Norway where we did an amazing campaign on, on vaccines uh, within uh, HPV, uh, on HPV and, and it was, it was, uh, you know, you had the environment there, you had the team, you had some really creative people and, and, and uh, that came in and said, hey, we want to do and really want to engage with with uh, the youth in, in Norway and, and talk to them about HPV and specifically genital warts, which is not a most uh, sexy topic. Well, it well, depends on how you look at it, I guess, but uh, it's definitely not something that's that easy to talk about. And some very creative ideas around uh, how do you really interact with these people? And then at the same time, when something organically happened, because what, what did happen in the campaign was that some of these pictures with, with the, talking about genital wars, they came online on Tinder and Instagram, and then some uh, kids started commenting with emojis, you know, uh, cauliflower emoji and 
uh, and you can you can kind of uh, put two and two together. Uh, mm-hmm. And we thought, like, what's happening here, right? So that's some, and then we just you know they tapped into it. Said, hey, we're gonna just continue, and we kind of call we're gonna do an emoji campaign with cauliflowers and different uh, vegetables that um, uh, that of course would maybe symbolize the genital wars. And then it became an emoji campaign and that scaled to other countries and was inspiration for other countries to also do HPV campaigns around genital wars. Uh, and I thought that was very customer centric that you kind of instead of just freaking out from a compliance perspective and thinking, hey, what's happening? We don't understand this this culture. We're just going to tap into it, and then we're going to kind of really lean into this is a, a, a quite fun and interesting way of communicating, and then we're going to scale that out, um, and even to win to influencers later in other countries. So I, I really was inspired inspired by it, and 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 I take zero credit for for that that, that campaign, but I thought it was a great kind of a Norwegian MSD campaign that, uh, that I still talk about today and I still remember very fondly. That's so brilliant because it's kind of like not what Pharma wants to tell to the audience, it's how the audience responds. So what was the vegetable you settled in? Which one like performed better than anything else in communicating the core message about the board? <laughs> it was the uh, aubergine. Really? Okay. Ah, well, yeah. yeah aubergine, did you go yeah. for the organic color or did you change the emoji color for aubergine? Oh no, you should not change it because then people don't understand it. I, I, and I actually quite remember very clearly in the beginning, they also came uh, and, and I was part of a meeting where they the, they were pitching memes. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was uh, I'm big into memes. I love memes. And but they were pitching pictures of memes that were not the real pictures that's used in memes. So for those mm-hmm. of you who's into memes, they you understand there's some specific pictures you use. You know, sad bear and 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 a small kid with a clenched fist and so on, and and then you you find something pictures that are not exactly the same, and they, because from a compliance perspective, you can't couldn't use the same pictures, and I said that's not never going to work. You're just trying to fake. It's a typical pharma thing. You're tapping into something and you just become like this, you know, fake company trying to do something that's not authentic. That's don't don't do it. And we didn't luckily didn't do it, but we just tap heavily into the emojis and don't change the emojis. You have to look at this. Uh, you're talking to young people they will see if you're trying to make a fake you know emoji and 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 trying not to be real so no no the real aubergine color and the real aubergine emoji and i think that's one of the things i really love about your posts on social media and how you appear you're just so authentic and you are almost unique because you're quite happy say what you're thinking and stay to what you think is true rather than trying to make it corporate uh, which brings me to some research because we did some research, look at your post and my team picked up on an interview you had done. Uh, and in that interview, you made a statement saying, move fast and break things, learn from your loss making change uh, efforts and innovations. And I'm just curious to know, do you have examples of things that maybe you moved fast and broke something and what you learned from it that you can share with us today? Yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, and I didn't even come up with that title originally. So, I guess move, move fast and break thing is the is the tech, is the tech influence. Uh, so, the tech uh, industry's uh, slogan. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mentioned a chat, but that's definitely one that uh, I did a lot of pilots also, and 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 someone in the industry, not me, said that you know the the the, the farm industry has more pilots uh, than the airline industry. And mm-hmm. I did some of those definitely experimentations and pilots and things. And then we keep on saying, yeah, we do this pilot and we scale. And then most of the times it doesn't. Um, and I did a chatbot, you know, as I think I mentioned earlier. And I think one of my things in the beginning was I, I definitely got distracted by new things. 
Mm-hmm. And 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 then we, we and we go down the route as well in pharma. We 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 are distracted by the new shiny things, and then we go all in on something like yeah. VR goggles for everybody. And then two years later, and, and thousands, maybe millions of, of euros later, and then they're just lying around in some some sales reps, uh, uh, you know, closet. And that happens still a lot. And that's why I say, if you don't have the fun. I keep talking about the fundamentals as it may be a little bit boring, but get the fundamentals right and make sure that you have the right type of engagements. Um, and that is actually something that they generally also may not even not, maybe not want, but actually interact with uh, mm-hmm. our customers, whatever kind of customers you, you have. Uh, and then keep on just making sure that you have some consistency in your communication there as well. If you have that, then you can start moving into um some of the more shinier things so that was what i've learned at least you know broke things i broke uh, some of the uh, experiences in terms of will we, we're going to try we're going to try this out okay it worked doesn't work and then you continue with it or not so it, it is the pilots and the scaling but uh, some of it did work in in, in the very end Thanks for sharing that. I actually refer to the term pilotitis in my book because I think farmers is fascinated by doing pilots, but they never scale them. Even if they see results, they just kind of like move on to the next pilot. Um, So it's inflammation disease related to pilots. Um, I'm just going to have a question for our audience. And at the same time, I'm going to ask you a question and maybe we can like compare notes. I want our audience to share with us here. What do you think are the qualities you want to see in a leader that would make you feel empowered and allows you to take risk and push the boundaries? And my question for you, Erasmus, is um, this quality that you have in terms of openly sharing things that you break or move fast and break, do you think that's an important quality for a leader um, to create the environment that we talked about earlier on? I think it's super important to share failures. Um, I think it's very important to be very competent, of course, in the areas that you have and and then uh, empower, you know, make sure that people bring ideas and you support the ideas and then you support support when they fail and, and then you support them when they succeed as well to kind of continue. Mm-hmm. I think that really is most of my job, to be quite honest, is, is to do that. Because if you, I, I, I normally say I just try to hire people a lot smarter than me uh, constantly. And then I'm confident enough not to be threatened by that in any way. And then just try to help. And that's exactly the situation I have now uh, in the Netherlands. And I had it before in the Nordics, just having a lot of much smarter people than me. And then I try to help them and support mm-hmm. them. And then when we fail, I, 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 I help them out. And when we succeed, we do the same. And then we try. We try things. Um, and then we're not afraid to say, hey, okay, this worked and this didn't work. And I think that also creates uh, safety and uh, an environment where people are also happy to work. And then I try to inject also a lot of fun in it as well. To be that's, but that's a personal thing that I like to have some fun, and I uh, hope the team also would like to have some fun normally. Uh, and that creates also hopefully a better environment. And we have that environment, and and you have trust between each other. That that makes a lot a lot of things easier. Mm-hmm. So we've got a comment from Brian uh, Shore. Thank you, Brian, for sharing that. He says, leadership sometimes can be the culprit, shiny object syndrome, often with the best intentions, wanting to stay ahead, but that often throws team off on finishing the foundation uh, work. How do you guide influence senior leadership on how to stay focused on staying uh, on the course with the fundamentals versus the new shiny things? 
well it's about being extremely vocal and then if you are if you have uh if you have some uh what you call rules called respects or if you are if, if people listen to you in the senior leadership you need to push back basically and saying hey i've been down this road before let's make sure we stay the course because when uh, and now i would say that to everybody that has done 2023 and then that, that doesn't mean that just because it's 2024 and everything is different uh we have this tendency of course to say new year new beginnings new stuff but if you really continue one thing that you feel had a, have a, had a really good impact, continue to build on it, make the changes, be consistent. I think consistency is one of the most impactful driver of marketing in pharma. And we have a tendency to change every year on, many, on just some things, but not to be um, uh, disrupt the organization. Mm -hmm. The organization will change, be the new direction, be new human new senior communication on, hey, now we're a data company and now we're AI company. And then suddenly people run around and say, hey, we shouldn't do that anymore. That was actually uh, working pretty well. Um, so I, I push back when there's too many new things coming. Uh, and then there's some few things where, of course, you have to start doing more of it. I think I think AI is, is definitely one of them. Analytics and data has been one for, for many years. But it also takes a while. And we move very slow in this industry is my uh, observations well and that's why the consistency is it's very important so i advocate and i try to push back when uh, if there's some of the shiny object syndrome as brian mentioned comes i think if you think about scientists and experimentation which is the fundamental of drug discovery the scientists don't change everything they just change one element and see the impact of that before they change something else and i guess maybe that's a lesson for marketing if something's not working keep trying but move one element at a time to see what's the impact of having it versus not having it what do you think absolutely uh completely agree uh, but it's interesting you mentioned that because we often try to apply a lot of people will talk about innovation within pharma and within commercial marketing and we are pharma driven drug manufacturers that is where innovation happens in the pipeline but we try to but we have the mentality that many pharma companies have around innovation comes from drug manufacturing and drug development and drug discovery. And you apply that towards the commercial mindset. You see that, and that's a clash because it's two different kinds of innovations because one is science-driven linear and one is a little more chaotic that with having you know streams going everywhere where you can actually arrive at something innovation. But you see, you definitely see this, this clash coming between what is really innovation within pharma industry. And I think it's not something we have fixed at all yet. And, and it's kind of one of my, my personal uh, missions to try to see if we can we can we can get somewhere where we have you know fundamental innovation sometimes innovation pharma happens in an innovation lab somewhere or within commercial or you know special division or maybe even completely disappeared and it happens within local teams and then talks about innovation i think small innovations is also good enough but innovation within commercial um in pharma industry is not something that's well established and i have not seen a lot of it and then we try to adopt of course uh, omnichannel and that's maybe an innovative approach for many pharma companies but real innovation within commercial and and within what we're doing in launching and, and, and marketing and selling our products is very very limited unfortunately you talk about the commercial teams and you talk about enabling your team how have you enabled the field team to own the you know engagement with hcps and maybe 
they um, you know move the boundaries and come back to marketing and saying this is the way we suggest or give them freedom because traditionally pharma companies are quite directive about what the what they want the field team to do because of the compliance this is a message you need to deliver this is the frequency you need to say it or these are the people you need to see how do you give more empowerment to the commercial field team to do what's right oh yeah it's a good question. Uh, so I, I only been the last year leading uh, some teams that had uh, 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 field force, um, and it's uh, so it's a, it is slightly new for me. Um, I would say some of the advice that I also can take from the Nordics was that we often have some we hyper focus our our field force to go in with some certain messaging and and do very hard measurements on how many meetings do you have and. Uh, how are you engaging? And then we're trying to link that to somehow some behavioral changes. And I think that is still, and it still had probably been been like that for, for many, many years, and will probably continue uh, still in the future. And we also continue in parts of that as well. I am trying to also bridge the gap around that maybe it's not that important if you have two meetings a day, five meetings, or eight meetings a day. It really is about making sure that you are empowered as well to make the biggest impact for the customers making sure that you have the opportunities that we don't we don't just we give you a very tight script and you just go and deliver that and then everyone everybody's happy and we can check mark something somewhere so it's actually back to whatever empowerment you have for your marketing teams is the same you have to do for your sales team that's how i see it as well and then we shouldn't just measure on how many interactions you have it's really about the total impact and then in the end i really don't care if you have that many interactions to do it because you know the customer better than I do, and you know what will work better. So I just have to trust in you to do the, the thing that, that matters the most. And then you have to trust me that I support you if someone comes and say, hey, why didn't you do five calls yesterday? Uh, that, that's not important because we get the results still and we have the right positive relationships and impacts with our customers. I love that. I give you a thumbs up and a clap for that because being on the interface uh, with the customers, one of my biggest um, like um, goal is not to waste HCP's time. So it's not about knocking on the door, it's about being really relevant and delivering value. And we find, I've been doing this for maybe 20 years now, if you are delivering value, instead of chasing the numbers, you are focusing on how you can solve their problems, then they want to engage with you more because they're getting value from that in interaction. So I, I'm really, really excited that you're already creating that culture in MSD. And if in our audience, uh, anybody from the field team is here, I'd really like to hear whether you have that culture in your organization and or what would be on your wish list that you would ask people like Erasmus to give that uh, empowerment to you. Can I ask you a question? Now you you bring it up. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll take the, the chance to ask you a question. So how will you see the future as well for the field force in pharma? I think the future of field force is much more closer alignment with medical and marketing. I see us as one team geared to deliver value to HCPs. So in turn, the HCPs can deliver value to the patients. And I think, you know, the front frontline field teams are maybe have more interactions with the HCPs. So we need to be a conduit to bring back that insight to marketing. And the teams that we work on, we give, we give direction to marketing what content we need because we hear it from HCPs. And then they work closely with medical to create that. So speed up 
the um, pace of creating relevant content for HCPs at the time they need it could only happen if field team works so closely with medical and marketing. So we are just one team. And I think it's about field team realizing is, is I'm not a lone wolf going here to sell product. We are a team. There's a whole function behind me. And how can I utilize everybody else who's supporting me to deliver value to that HCPs? And sometimes that person may not be me. It might be an MSL. It might be medical information. But it's just we all align together to, you know, with purpose, deliver value to HCPs. And I think we need to be a lot more focused around um, segmentation. Not everybody in every geography is going to love all of our products. So we need to segment geographies and ACPs based on their pain point and maybe not promote some of the products in some geographies because it's not a demand for it, but put more investment in other geographies where it is a better match between the HCP's pain point, the patient's pain point, and what we've got to offer. Yeah, well, I'm glad we are heading uh, we're heading that direction as well. So glad that the uh, cool. Uh, so the I've got a, a big question for you. Oh. If you could leave a lasting impact um, in pharmaceutical industry, uh, what legacy would you aspire to leave and create? Yeah, and I knew this question was coming. Uh, and I really, it's, it's the difficult question, most difficult question I ever had uh, uh, asked, to be quite honest, because it's, it's so much about suddenly I feel old and about legacy and, and uh, I hope I still have a way to go. But I, I, I'll be very honest with you. I don't think I'll have a lot of lasting impact on the industry itself. I, at the best I can hope to have is some impact on the people that have, I work with. That's really what I, in the end I hope to have. Mm -hmm. What do you uh, like them to say about you? I would like to say that I hope uh, that I've helped them. That's all, really. Mm -hmm. um, well, thank you. That's that's uh, that's and, and and we had some some good times and we we did something that was meaningful uh, somehow together. That's uh, that's that's all I think I can really hope for. I don't think that uh, unfortunately that will have more more impact than that. But I, but I, that's good enough for me as well. Again, you're being realist and uh, totally authentic, and I really love about you. So I'm going to ask you in terms of your predictions, what's your predictions from the pharma industry in 2024 and perhaps in the next five years? Because you said you're going to be around for a while, so maybe you've <laughs> already mapped out what like, the next five years is going to look like. No, I think so the easy predictions i'm going to give you two easy ones and then two a little bit may, maybe more tougher ones uh two easy ones is personalized medicine and and digital health it's it's two ongoing trends and we'll see a lot more of that with personalized medicine for sure the coming years and and the digital health uh of course i'm already experiencing it here in netherlands where i couldn't get an appointment with the, with the gp around just getting a prescription uh, something very basic uh, because it has to be some digital and a lot lot more of that is coming and and I think there's a there is an opportunity for pharma also to be to be more invested in that but mm -hmm. um, it's 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 two that are that are obvious I would say so that that's the easy ones uh, the more difficult one I think uh, drug pricing uh, drug pricing is a trend and we will continue to talk about it in this industry and outside the industry a lot more 
Netherlands is not a necessarily easy country to, to also discuss uh, drug pricing. I think some of the some of the countries like Netherlands and also where I came from, the Nordics and other European countries will be a lot of that. We see what's also happening in the US. Uh, so drug pricing for this industry is going to be um, uh, quite a big topic the the coming years, and uh, and some good discussions around it. I think to be fair as well, and and uh, I think we have very our industry has such a profound impact on society, and, and that, that should be recognized. But I think we should have a discussion around how that really is the how what is the best models, and it could be any different model to try out as well. So I think that will be a topic for twenty twenty four. Mm-hmm. for all of our pharma companies and i think it will also be in the media a lot another thing the last one i would say prediction would be uh, weight loss okay. so yeah the weight loss drugs uh they're here they're coming the biggest news story for me in 2023 was uh Ozempic for no one uh so uh from from our home country um from denmark and there'll be other competitors coming very soon and that that if we can eliminate a massive amount of obesity in some of our Western world, uh, imagine the industry and the trends that will come from that. Uh, the travel industry, the fashion industry, the food industry, all industries will be impacted by uh, if we suddenly have this change in weight loss. Uh, so I think that's the biggest news story actually of 2023 almost, at least from our from our, uh uh, our our industry, but maybe even within the the business uh, side of uh, of uh, of news, um, and it will continue into twenty twenty four, and we will continue mm-hmm. to talk about it. Thank you for sharing your predictions. So your predictions are digital health, um, drug pricing, and also the weight loss and personalized medicine. Personalized medicine. I just wish personally that instead of people, because I know people here in the US, a lot of them are taking weight loss drugs, but they're still eating like they did before. I just wish people would change lifestyle because that's probably a more logical way of addressing weight gain rather than eating tons of food and taking the weight loss medication. So I just hope that we we kind of like moved more towards um, lifestyle changes and, um, you know, prevention rather than treatment. But that's another interview and another whole load story. Uh, and I and I tend to agree, but I think it's also evolution. Like we also had, a, I think it was the same uh, uh, almost 100 years ago when people didn't get enough vitamins. Mm-hmm. And then you had the vitamin pill. And now we don't really think about, oh, do you get enough vitamins? It's almost not a conversation anymore. And yeah. I know weight loss is a bigger uh, topic than that uh, and a maybe potential bigger impact on, on your life. But I think we, that's the, the, the way things are moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the coming years it's so impactful these products uh and and obesity is a big problem and how it will affect other how it is affecting also the healthcare system and and it's it really is a very very interesting development that that we're seeing there uh mm-hmm. and a lot of people just have tried a lot of things and can't get and maybe if it could, could be the bump to really get them over the finish line i i'm a big advocate for for, yeah. for seeing that trend in 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 our yeah in humanity and how that will change in the coming years. So uh, absolutely, biggest news, biggest news story of this year, and and will continue in twenty four. Absolutely, because it's a culprit behind a lot of long term conditions, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, even pain management. So uh, if we could control the weight, then everybody would have better quality of life. Uh, I totally agree with you, yeah. Erasmus. You've been absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed chatting to you. 
and I'm sure our audience really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you for all of you who joined us on this Friday leading up to Christmas. This was our last LinkedIn Live in 2023, and we will be back with a big bang in January 24 because we have a virtual LinkedIn Live to launch my book, The Omni Advantage, Accelerating the Behavioral Change with Omni Omnichannel in Pharma Sales Engagement. And I have contribution from five amazing people, Paul Sims, James Harper, Florent Edward, Paul Tanner, and Kun Janssens. And it's gonna be on 18th of January. So please come and join us. And if you would like to read the book, you can order it from Amazons and Waterstones and all the major um, book suppliers. Uh, I just wanted to say a huge thank you to all of you because it's been amazing to have your input and support for these series. Um, I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas if you're celebrating it. If you're not, happy holidays and happy and healthy new year. Uh, I hope you enjoy the break. And I know we keep talking about digital transformation and tech and shiny stuff, but let's unplug. Let's unplug from technology and connect with the real people in our family and friends for a couple of weeks. And I really look forward to seeing you in 2024. Thank you from me. And thank you, Erasmus. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure having you. Bye. Uh -huh.